name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. Why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. And here we go again, still in lockdown. This is week four, in case you listen to this in 10 years' time. This is in uh, COVID-19 territory. It is currently April the 16th, 2020, and uh, we're not allowed out, basically. However, despite not being allowed out, I've got to say, Art of Brill is very much open for business. Um, so, I mean, there is particularly a world shortage of happiness at the moment. So, well-being, uh, resilience, positivity, mental health, all those are more important now than they ever have been so we're obviously being flexible like everybody else we we've got the best content in the world what we've got to do is find different ways of delivering it which we're getting really good at so we are still open for business if your business would like uh, we can be brought live to your staff working from home on their laptops via various video conferencing so zoom microsoft teams that kind of thing or we can do pre-recorded sessions we'll be doing lots of those now with businesses that are specific to your organization they can sit on your website or can sit on youtube it doesn't really matter but your staff can link to them it's like a sort of pep talk really and a giving a bit of a spring in your step and i think keeping people sane in a world that's gone bonkers i think is more important now than ever before however enough of me rabbiting on um here is this month's podcast it is a special in lots of ways as you will find out but it's the number one in terms of it's the first one ever to be recorded by a man sitting on a toilet in dublin enjoy well, well, well. <laughs> I've been very lucky on this podcast. I've had some wonderful people on. I've had normal people with a story to tell, or sometimes celebrities from the sort of personal development word work work. But I, I've put celebs in inverted commas there because a kind of a celebrity, as in I've heard of them on the speaking circuit, but maybe the general public haven't heard of them. Um, but this is a special episode. We've got a celeb that's not even in inverted commas. Someone off the actual telly. <laughs> And you'll recognise the voice. He's a comedian, but he's not any old comic, all right? I don't know how many seasons of um, Live at the Apollo there have been, but my next guest holds the record for having the funniest episode ever, even funnier than Mickey Flanagan, which is going some. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the comedian and thoroughly lovely bloke, Mr. Jason Byrne. How are you? Andy. How are you, Jay? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks for that build-up. That's very difficult for... uh, Now... If I was an American comic, I would have sent you my biog and I would have wanted more of a build-up. But I'm an Irish comic. That's way too much already. It's like, that's like, oh my God, no, no, no. Mate, I'm well, not funnier than Mickey Vandigan, my God. Mate, well, I'm going to come back to imposter syndrome in a bit because that's okay. an example right there, isn't it? I've got that as well, by the way. I'm a doctor of happiness. And as soon as people call me a doctor, I'm like, what, me? Really? Can't be me. Can't be me. <laughs> So, mate, how's, I mean, I think we'd, let's make this clear. We're recording this in, in lockdown over this side of the water. You're over in Ireland. What's the situation over there right now? Well, right now, um, I'm in my ensuite because the uh, <laughs> internet 
is strongest in my ensuite. So I've made, I've done loads of podcasts and even did a TV interview the other day for Irish television <laughs> in my ensuite. And the lighting is better. I find that, okay, everybody who's listening in, if you want really good lighting while you're doing stuff or doing Zoom, just switch off the light in the room. I mean, you'll just be just like in a kind of dusky type way. You'll look brilliant. So try that. I love it. So but, is this the first podcast ever where somebody's sitting on the toilet doing the podcast? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I'd say so. And what I did the other day, actually, when they when it was live television, and I said, am I finished now? And they went, yeah. And I stood up, but I had my pants down, <laughs> only my trousers. And I stood up and I pulled them up and flushed them in. Good old comedy. Comedy but genius. Anyway, mate, before not, you start, mate, not, you are, by the way, I gave you the big build-up. You are the second most famous person we've had on this podcast. Because if you listen to my back catalogue, mate, we had Santa on just before Christmas. Oh, no way. No one's we more did. famous than Santa. The actual Santa. Not some pretend Santa, mate. Your actual Santa giving top <laughs> tips. Top t- so and, you know, we're thinking I, of having God yeah. on next year. Yeah, he'd be good. Oh, yeah, he'd come on and explain himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what have you done? We'd be uh, more than half an hour okay. with him, wouldn't we? Mate, so you're yeah. locked down. You're sitting do, doing this from your bathroom in uh, in Ireland there. So Yeah, so lock, lockdown in Ireland, just to tell you, Andy, real quick, is you've got to stay two kilometres within your house. You can only go further if you want to go to, to, to the shops. Uh, you can only exercise within the two kilometres. And, um, yeah, you can be fined over here now if you go outside that, if you don't have a good enough excuse or if you're not a frontline worker. You know, so it's pretty insane. Tough, tough, tough times, fellow. You think you've got a bit lot more locked down than we are. You know what? I've got this issue actually with the um, we call it social isolation or social distancing over here, and I'm hating that term as a sort of somebody who studied well-being. I think it's physical isolation and physical distancing. I understand the two meters apart thing, but we're social creatures, fella. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and social isolation is we're not built for that. That's the bit that we're going stir crazy, aren't we? Yeah, I actually was only thinking about that. I mean, I was getting, I was. I was just hoping, well, I was watching Irish people who are very social people, obviously, yeah. But uh, the way Ireland's working now and people are queuing up and then when they get into the shop, they do they, they do go near each other. But I was, I was just like, some of them are getting a little bit too nasty. Do you know what I mean? Because they're like, like they're, they're kind of going, no, no, this is my space. This is mine. This is not yours. Where we're just not used to that as Irish people. We'd be like, hello, how are you? And all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just hope to God after this, we don't get... We don't lose who we are, but you're right. Yeah, to say it's social distancing, that's a terrible uh, thing. It's just, yeah, it's a physical two meter distance. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think it's a time for social connection. The other thing I spoke to you the other day, mate, and you, in fact, you did a little video for us, and you t- spoke about the washing machine. Can you can you remember what you said? Because I thought that was so brilliant. Yeah. Um. Well, I felt like before all of this happened that we were basically. In, in a in life was just going so fast. It was like we were all in a washing machine with the social media, uh, work. Uh, we need overtime. We need more money. We're getting the kids to school. Got to get them on time. Uh, this, that, and the other. And it was like a washing machine. It was like we were all in this washing machine. And it almost felt as if the world had just pressed stop on the washing machine and it had just literally gone, okay, that's enough. Now, everybody, get out of the washing machine and lie on the clothes horse of life. Because I know right that this has this is not like the COVID-19 is not good right it has actually killed people but at the same time on the positive side of things it it has made us all stop I mean yes we're as, as I said in the shops we're like being a little bit nasty but now where I'm living here there is people being good very neighborly again we're getting the neighborhood stuff back which is really good too. <laughs> 
It's the best analogy that I've heard anybody come up with from the washing machine because it's been like that for 10 years. We, we, we call it busyness. So we're like falling over with yeah. busyness. We're rushing around. And I've just done a, I did a, um, a little video conference with a company today and they've all been, is it furloughed? Where, where they, they pay your salary and, and, and yeah. so you don't have to go to work. Your job is to be at home, basically. So previously, yeah. and most of these people were, were like guys who work in a factory who come to work on a Monday moaning about coming to work. And now 200 of them are laid off on full pay at home and they're moaning about being at home. You can't win. <laughs> can you? No. It's like a but cultural why, thing. Why are they doing that? But what, because I think we are, we're creatures of habits. So we like to have our habits, even though, uh, you know, sometimes we do moan about it. But I, I have to say in Ireland, we, we love a moan. Like, I think a lot of people do love a moan. They feel that, and I think why they do it as well, especially here, is people, uh, I call it almost like fish moaning. They fish moan. So what they do is, is they cast out a bit of moaning to their mates or whoever they're talking to, and they're hoping their cat, they'll get back a bit of moaning. Like, they don't want you, like, basically go, if you say, oh, my God, uh, I've had a really hard day. And if, if your mate goes, oh, I had a great day, actually, had a brilliant day in work, you, don't, you almost, you put your fishing rod back and you put it away and close it away. You don't want to know. But if you, if you fish moan and your mate goes, yeah, I had a bad day as well, you get a little tingle inside and then the two of you have a You've good moan You've got one, haven't you? Stop reeling it in, don't you? Hoping it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> They're going, oh, lovely. Look at the size of my moan. Hold it up like a fish. Look at the moan I cut. Some people have got a trawler net, mate, haven't they? They go around trawling for moans. Matt, that's a great analogy. But it's like, it's what is, what? so what is happening? I mean, so people would say, oh, like if they're being interviewed and they, and everything was at, was normal, like what, what what makes you happy? Oh, my children, being at home with my wife, you know, just make, the, spending time at home. But now they've gone the opposite way. Yeah. It's like, oh, what makes you happy? Well, I miss work. I should be going to work. I miss the train. I miss the, the great pies. But that, isn't that how, right? how the brain works, mate? It's this negativity bias. We always look for what we haven't got and we moan about what we haven't got. We always want something else. And I think, I think you're right earlier. It's like we're beginning to get good at doing nothing, like being on the clothes source of life. I mean, because we're, we're, we're sort of on lockdown for at least another three weeks over here. That's a lot of time to dry yeah. out and stay still. And, and uh, let me introduce you, mate, to an Italian phrase. I've only just learned it. It's uh, dol- I'll use my best Italian accent. Dolce fa niente. Dolce fa niente. Right? Do you know what that means? That is the, that's being, doing nothing but not feeling guilty about it. Wow. Do, you know, do you know like the Mediterraneans just sit and watch the world go by? Well... I was in Sardinia last year, and that has the most amount of centenarians, people over 100, in Europe. And they do nothing. Like, I mean, we were there, we were like, we were there walking around, and they, were, they sit everywhere. And when you order stuff food in the restaurant, they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. And they kind of talk to the other waiter for a second, and then wander into the kitchen. And they might come back, or they mightn't. And it's like literally they don't understand. There you go. Why you'd want to? Mate, how happy are they though? How happy are they? But they're not feeling guilty about doing nothing. And the problem I'm I'm struggling with, you know, having an empty diary for about ten weeks, is I feel like I should be doing something. But we're back to the closed source of life again. Is maybe doing nothing? Maybe that's maybe that's why the virus is here. I don't know. It could be. I mean, the thing is with. well, look, of course, with, with, you know, with climate change and, and how the world actually worked 
thousands of years ago was like you know with an ice age it you know, it it just does this it just does these things that maybe mother nature you know somehow has caused covid-19 as uh, um, you know because we can't always explain everything do you know what i mean even when we get sick ourselves we're like how did it get sick even when we get born how did you get born like how does sperm work where does sperm start where does egg start so they just even if, if the covid mother nature just kind of developed it and just went you are ruining me everybody just hang on a minute we all have a big chat wow right that's <laughs> That's as plausible. That's that's as plausible as anything I've ever heard, mate. And do you know, what? I put a tweet out the other day that got a bit of traction. I said that you know, is is there really genuinely more blossom this spring? Uh, is there really more flowers and really more bird song and really more butterflies, or have I just slowed down long enough to notice them? Yeah, I'd say. Do you know what? I I, I love this Irish phrase. I swear in my life. I had just been to the shops this morning, and there was a there was a, was massive bushes with lot. Uh, they're they're kind of like a like a beachside bush with big yellow flowers, and I did think that they were much thicker in mm. bloom. There you go. But they I don't know they couldn't be. But I think what you're saying is that I just really didn't have anything else to think about in the car. Yeah, or you I just was missed going them shopping. all these. How many years have you missed them? They've always been there, and you've missed them. This dolce far niente, this beauty of slowing down and doing nothing, that- is. That's a brilliant thing, Andy, because, yeah, because my brain would have been full of, okay, I've got to get to this gig, I've got to get that thing ready tonight, then I've got to go there. I would have definitely just dro- driven by that bush with the yellow flowers and not seen it. <laughs> okay. No, definitely. No That's way. quite so profound, I, fella. It is quite profound. Yeah, so I'm going to go with that one. Actually, I'm going to go that actually maybe we're just having time to notice. Unfortunately, you know, for couples, we're really, you know, beginning to find out who we are because, like... You know, the lovely women and the and the husband, If even if the wife doesn't work or she does work or the husband stay at home, no matter what it is, they still separate in the day and then they do their own thing and then they kind of change a little. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like, do you know when you meet your mates as a, as a man and it's just your mates, just the lads? Like, And it's not like, hey, come on, whoa. it's You just say more sillier stuff and you're a little bit more dirty and a little bit whatever and a bit more silly. In fact, they are your wife. So when you get home, your wife will go, how are the lads? Ah, oh, yeah, they're all great. Business is doing really well. But you're probably talking about, like, can you imagine, like, if you had an extra willy, what would you do with it? Because <laughs> you wouldn't say, because your wife tells you to shut up. Same way, she'll go to the girls uh, and just, they're, like, I've already, I remember saying on stage, you know, like, stag do's are so, are, are rubbish, like, but hen nights, are just off the scale insane. They're nearly illegal. <laughs> so it's but they but it's just that's the type of people we are when we come back. But now we're spending all the time with each other, which is amazing. I know, I know. I know I, no, I love my wife to bits for twenty seven years, mate, and she's the best thing ever. But if I have to see her doing one more jigsaw or doing one more crossword puzzle, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put me you know, you know ah, whoa, yeah, whatever. Well listen well, real quick, I had an idea which I put out. I said why don't you do role reversal, a bit like Wife Swap on Channel 4 for a day, just for the crack, and see how you get on. So you you become your wife and she becomes you. I, okay. <laughs> I can do the jigsaw puzzles and she can write the book. Good. <laughs> Mate, right. Now, what I was going to start this podcast with, but I forgot to, but I think can we just rewind it? Because you're obviously a comedian, a very sort of uh, doing really well and all that. But you must have at some point, I'm, I'm interested in the backstory of the guest, really, about how, you must have had a proper job at some point, mate. Where did it all yeah. start? Well, I had um, 
okay, so I left school and then I went to, I was a, an accountant for uh, a year. <laughs> yeah, I was an accountant for a year, okay, Andy? And real tell you, I, I went on a work experience halfway through that year and this was when there was hardly any computers around. Do you know what I mean? This was like in the early 90s. I left school, so it would have been 1990, actually, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, there was this guy, he, he looked about 63, but he was only about 35, right? <laughs> and he was, I was, he just gave me checks just to fill in into ledgers, just these numbers. And at the end of the day, he goes, did you enjoy that? I went, uh, yeah, I think so. And then he opened his, uh, this is no, no lie. He opened his drawer and took a little nagging of whiskey out, had a mouthful of it, closed it, put it back down. And he went, don't ever become an accountant. And he got his coat and left. <laughs> so I didn't. I left. So you, did that, you did that for a year. Okay. And then? Yeah, I left that. Then I went um, into uh, a, a, a lighting company. This is a really unusual what I used to do. I used to be a lighting techie. I used to do lighting design. Like uh, we used to work in a warehouse where we would uh, get all the lights and all the rigs ready for like all the big shows. Like, uh, like we did the first river dance that was here. We like we did all the lights for that. We did lights for for all sorts of Eurovision bands, uh, fashion shows, everything. But my comedy def like now first of all my comedy started in my in my own home because my dad would literally switch off the news to put on not the nine o'clock news on BBC yeah. two. Right. Yeah, so good. like on faulty towers and Benny Hill. So I was already in comedy college without realizing it. But I was in this warehouse with one of my, my best friends is called PJ Gallagher and people can Google him afterwards. He, he became a comedian as well after this. Right. But we, we, me and him will say they were the funniest days of our lives were in that warehouse. We got paid I think after tax, about 70 quid a week, right? Which we spent on that Thursday night in the local pub, mm -hmm. right? It's just gone, right? But we had such a laugh. Like every Friday, I mean, and this is probably something that people could, would probably want to do now. We didn't even know we were doing it. We were making our workplace the happiest place to ever work. Every Friday, we would have a hat hour from five to six. You had to make the most extravagant hat out of any of the equipment. Like, you know what I mean? You had bits of cardboard boxes, bits of lights, but you had to keep your hat on for an hour, no matter who came into the warehouse to ask you about hiring equipment, and you weren't allowed to refer to the hat at all. Right? <laughs> so, well, I've written that down. Thing. I've written that down as a top tip: a hat hour. Everywhere you yeah. should do it everywhere. Yeah, but then every month we had a theme. We had a theme day where you dressed up as Mexicans, and you were and dressed up as cowboys, or dressed up as any, and and people who came in. Even the bosses did it, and nobody referred to it the way they were dressed, and the, the public were just looking at us. And we're going, yeah, so you want to hire lights for your, for your conference, do you? And you're dressed as a Mexican with a moustache, the whole thing. And they're just staring at us thinking we're so that, so that was like an apprenticeship in comedy without it being official comedy. There must have come a step where you stood there with a the microphone at one point. So how did that transition? Where did that come from? Okay, so what we did then, uh, uh, while I was in the warehouse, I mean, I, I was a comedy fan, of course. I used to go to live stand-up in Dublin and see loads of gigs and all that stuff. And um, I went to a club uh, where there was an English comic playing. Uh, I think it was Simon Bly. I don't know if you know him. You might know. He's, he does a lot of comedy store stuff. Anyway, there was a joke competition, and I was in the crowd, and the, the joke competition was, uh, what, what does Mary McAleese 
and uh, Eamon de Valera have in common. Now, they're two ex-prime minister or presidents of Ireland. And I just said, uh, Eamon de Valera lives near my mother, right? This was the silly answer, right? And I didn't think anything of it. But the, but the host thought it was funny because it was surreal, right? Because Eamon de Valera was well dead. Nobody ever knew where he, no, we didn't know where he lived or anything. So he went, the winner is, so I won like a Foster's hat. Your man gave it to me afterwards. His name was Barry Murphy. But my mate Martin Byrne was with me and he said, oh, Jason would like to do comedy. He went, no, he wouldn't. And the guy, Barry Murphy, went, oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you seven open spots in the local club. And if you don't like it after that, don't do it. And that's how it started. Man, so you didn't leave school with a burning desire to be a comic. You, It's almost accidental then. Yeah, the only person who was upset when I went full-time into comedy was me. Like my mum and dad and all loved it. My sister and I was going, yeah, it's not, it's not a very steady job. I don't think this is a good idea. So everybody else going, no, go for it. Yeah, so so that that that's what happened. I no, I had no yearning for that. I mean, I mean, actually, my, the thing in my head uh, was I wanted to be a hotel manager in New York or something. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I'm good, good with people, you know what I mean? So I was going to train to be a waiter, a barman. I actually did a lot of bar work when I was like a little kid, like, you know, 15, 16, and, and, and do that. But I, I'm still waiting for my bosses in Lighten Dimensions to ring me and go, okay, that's enough. Come on, you can come back now. Well, I was never felt it was my full-time job. Brilliant, mate. Brilliant, mate. Because that brings, you are so good at this, because that brings me back to what we started with accidentally, which was imposter syndrome. So you're still waiting for the tap on the shoulder for it all to be mm-hmm. over. Right, I, I, and, and imposter syndrome is a really big deal. It's when you're waiting to be found out. I listened to, I think it was on Desert Island Disc or something over here, Michael, Michael McIntyre, who was really honest mm. with how racked with um, anxiety that he was about people realising he wasn't funny. Well, not, not just him losing his funniness, but, but being found out to the point whereby people realise he never even was funny in the first place. And he, he lies awake <laughs> at night worrying about running out of being funny. And I think that of all the professions in the world, being a comedian, must, that must be the nagging doubt. I don't know. Do, do, you, do you identify but with that it, or not? Yeah, absolutely. Every comic. I mean, every, uh, all the really good comics don't think they're funny. <laughs> which is which is brilliant because they criticize themselves and they're always trying to work harder and get their gags better and um, there was just really a, uh, there was a chris rock was doing an interview in um australia and he was on the radio and this 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 radio host was a comedian as well and chris went oh are you a comedian and the guy goes yeah i'm a comedian and chris rock said oh are you any good and he said yeah i'm brilliant and he went what you're brilliant he goes you're sitting in front of me. I'm Chris Rock. I've never thought I was funny. And you're saying you're funny, which means you're funnier than me. And he goes, yeah. So he goes, man, I don't think I'm funny at all. And I'm Chris Rock, he kept saying. And he goes, and then he said, let's listen to some of your material. And they played the host's material. But they just picked a really rotten bit. He was talking about vacuum cleaners. And I just came back to the studio, silence. And Chris Rock went, mm-hmm. But anyway, so... So my imposter, uh, imposter syndrome, is that what you call it, Andy? Imposter syndrome, yeah, waiting to be found yeah. out. So as a comic, they, uh, yes, I, I, my best way to describe it is when I'm on stage, uh, I have a left, a middle and a right voice. And the left voice is always 
scanning the audience to see who I can talk to. It's always going, oh my God, that could be a good person, that's a good person, that's a... And this is while I'm still talking. And my right side is my file of pre-written material. And I'm going through that going, yeah, don't forget, that's next, that's next. And they're all waiting. But my middle voice, which is always in the middle of my head, is always going, what are you doing here? Get off the stage. That's not funny. And every time I say something, it goes, that's not funny either. Look at all these people. I actually hear in my head, hit them going, they all paid in for this shit and your shit. And I that stays to the whole gig. So it's three different voices. And I have to keep kind of quashing that middle one. But yeah, it's it for me, that's always a thing. And I never feel like I'm a celebrity. I never feel like I'm a comedian. I just feel like I'm a, just a working dude. And I see comedians and I see other people going, wow, look at them. Even though I know them. <laughs> They're mm. like colleagues. Like, you know, and so... No, I always think that everything I do is not is not good enough in comedy. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's a nice that's an admission for any young people out there. I think with because uh, we're all trying to find our way in life, we're waiting to be found out. The fact you've got three voices in your head is a slight worry, there, fella. I'm just saying you should just have the one voice, but that might explain yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, that's how. But you see, that's how I. But my brain has just got so much going on all the time. I mean, that's how fast I do my comedy on stage, though, Andy, because I do a yeah. lot of improv. Yeah. So the improv is there, the material has to be waiting, and the middle bit is always criticizing me to make me. And that's that just make that actually makes me a stronger comic, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I know you know Gavin Oates as well. He's one of my uh, one of my mates, and he, he I wrote a book with Gav called Shine, and he in that I think we wrote about improv, and uh, actually life is improv. Everybody's making it up mm. as they go along, aren't they? You're thrown into a situation. You literally think it's not just on stage. It, life is a big stage. So we're all making it up as we go along. There is no plan. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're all waiting to be found out. <laughs> Everybody is. Yeah, so I think if you're waiting to be found out, I'm waiting to be found out, then the listeners can relax because it's just normal. It's just normal. Don't worry about it too much. Mate, one more thing on my list because I know you're a busy man. Your kids' mm. books, because I write kids' books as well. Tell, tell mm. me about onion oh so i wrote a book uh, called uh um the, the accidental adventures uh or sorry no the first book was um no hang on oh yeah the adventures of a wonky-eyed boy was the first book and that was a kind of memoirs of me growing up in ireland and it was a little bit it's more it's not really for all kids it's you know teenagery and adults and then the publisher said could you write a children's book but can you make like you because i because as a kid in the in that first book like I talk about me having a patch over my glasses and having a turned in eye, like a wonky eye and being like really nervous. And I used to always tell on everybody, like if you ask me anything or a cop asked me anything, I would just tell on my mates straight away, straight away. Like, and they used to shit themselves when they seen the cops coming over. They go, you shut your mouth, don't say anything. And the cops would go, what are you up to? And I go, they're at the Robin Wood and they're at the hiding it in the bush and they robbed it from that house in the state. And the, the lads would go, no, for Jesus sake. So, I became, I came up with this character called Onion O'Brien. And in the 80s, I used to love having a little gang of kids to hang out with because that's what we did. We used to go out on the road, we hung out, and we, you know, dug holes, we met, built swings. We like just do, did stuff, you know, and burned a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> dug Onion O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, we dug holes. So we Tell you do... what, mate, kids don't dig holes anymore. That's one thing that the, the modern generation doesn't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's all i could see you was with a big beard and a pipe in a cow in some sort of home going do you know what kids don't do anymore they don't dig holes they should be digging holes 
So anyway, simple pleasures, mate. Simple know, fun. All you know, Brian is based on me as a, as a kid. That's the main character, and the books are called the Accidental Adventures of Onion O'Brien. And so it's him, and then he has another other other uh, mates that are that live with him on the road. It is set in modern times, but they're only about eleven, so they don't have any mobile phones. And everything they do is kind of like detective-y, kind of hardy boys, Ina Blyton, mixed up with like lots of humour. Uh, Onion lives with his nana and granddad, who are based on my mum and dad, right? Uh, my, well, my dad passed away there about six weeks ago, whatever. But anyway, uh, so they're based on, on my dad and my mum. And he lives there with his, with his brother, Derek, and his little sister, Molly. And they all live together. And the reason why it's called The Accidental Adventures of Onion O'Brien is that uh, stuff just falls into his lap. And then it just becomes an adventure. So, so the first book is a lovely book where it's, oh, this is actually, which was based on a true story. We used to have a circus. They used to come to the top of our road and we used to go and visit it. And we, we got around the back to where all the animal cages were. And there was lions in there and everything. And some guy ran up to us going, lads, 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 lads. <laughs> we're going, what? Get away from the lions, you gobshites. And we're going, what? Go and rip your arm off. He goes, all right, do you want to see the elephant? We went, yeah. And he brought us over to a tent, like this tent, really tall, but very small in diameter. And he opened it and there was a female elephant in there. And she had her legs, you know, staked to the ground, just one leg. And I remember saying to the guy, can she not just pull that out of the ground? And he said, yeah, 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 she could. But when they're babies, they're beaten so much, they don't ever try it again. Which was, so me and my mate said, we've got to get that elephant out of there. Let's try tonight, go up and take, steal the elephant. But... It didn't happen because we all just like backed out. Like we all arrived together with like with little black hats going, right, we're going to rob an elephant. And then we just we just didn't. Mate, mate. So, yeah, well, I know about that story because I read it. I read it on a train in India, fella. Uh, I think I probably yeah. um, tweeted you at the time. So um, you did. Absolutely brilliant book, full of energy and, and completely bonkers. But that's the whole point. But I, I knew it was based on your sort of life generally. But the, your ability, once again, it's the comic ability, isn't it? To take a story and. Uh, exaggerate it or magnify it or, or or just milk it for everything it's got absolutely brilliant i thoroughly recommend those books while your kids are, uh, are at home and not going to school then uh there's it's the two are you working on any more there's two at the moment isn't there yeah one is uh um uh the great ape escape and the other one the second one is called the head of ned belly and i'm working on the third one now in, in isolation top man top man so, okay right jay absolutely brilliant can i just finish with the question that i always finish with and that is uh what makes you happy oh my god i think calmness makes me happy and not only in my life but in my children's life as well so the calm, just that they, when I see that they're calm and happy, I'm calm and happy. So, and my, and my family and anybody around me. So just calmness around me just makes me happy. Hey, mate. Well, there you go. The modern world then. Dolce Farniente. Doing, doing nothing and not feeling guilty about it. Maybe that's the key to it. Noticing those flowers or on the I trees. In Irish, it's called Toscomel to Spare. Oh, wow. Well. You've got a phrase so, so similar. Exact same translation. Yeah. Can you say it? Toscomel to spare. Toscomel to spare. Yeah, which actually means there's clouds in the sky. <laughs> oh, okay. That's close enough. We, I don't actually, we don't have a calm one. <laughs> well, mate, I've made some notes. I, I love the washing machine analogy, the fact that we've been going around on the spin cycle 100 miles an hour for 10 years and all of a sudden we've stopped 
and we're sitting on the clothes horse just drying out and we're going to be drying out for at least three more weeks here and, and the best thing the best thing is the fish the fishing you know, you're casting your line looking for a little grumble. And if we can reel it oh, the in. Fishing, the mate. moan well, that just fishing. The moan fishing. I'm having that, mate. That'll be in my book before it's in your book. So moan, fish, moaning. <laughs> I love the idea of when you were at work, you just created a, a, a hat a hat hour and then you got dressed up as Mexicans and just pretended you weren't Mexicans and nobody was allowed to mention it. That's the funny bit. Dressing <laughs> up as a Mexican isn't funny. Not mentioning it is the funny bit of that, isn't it? Yeah, don't mention it. Yeah. You've got three voices in your head. You're still waiting to be found out. So you're just normal like the rest of us. That's really, really cool. So, mate, it's been an absolute um, uh, pleasure. I've tried to be, hide my laughing behind uh, so, so that people can hear, but there's a lot of me sniggering in the background here. You've been a pleasure, mate. So uh, enjoy Thanks, the rest man. of you being locked up for, for however yeah. many weeks. And um, say hi to the kids when you see them. Oh, well. Okay, Andy. Top dog. Thanks, fella. Thank you very much indeed. Stay in touch, man. See you later. Okay, bye, bye, bye. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcast.